You're listening to Prosper the Connection. I'm Benjamin Ha. The intent of this podcast is to help us connect with each other after having been through a year without any significant face-to-face interaction. Each episode, we're going to sit down with a member of our cohort and dive into how they've been spending their summer, what they love to do in their free time, and anything else you might find interesting. Let's get started. Hey everyone, sorry for not releasing an episode last week. Making a podcast is turning out to be a lot of work. Anyway, this week we speak with Maya Dotson about running her first half marathon, how college gymnastics influenced her present, and why she decided to join the student council. Oh, by the way, in the news this week, Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos is standing trial. I know a lot of us did our projects on Elizabeth Holmes, so stay tuned for more updates on her. Sit back, relax, and put on your favorite turtleneck, and let's get started. All right, Maya, thanks for joining us today. Um, ben and I are really excited for, for this interview. I'm glad that you took the time out of your busy summer to join us. Um, so first, first question, we're both curious about what you have been up to this summer. Just open or is there, is there guidance around that one? <laughs> Any new hobbies, travel, uh, do anything crazy, bungee jump, skydive, I don't know. Yeah. For sure. Um, thank you for asking. This is something that I, I try to really actively reflect in the summer because where the sun is, is when I'm happiest. And so one of my big achievements, it's also something that I wrote down in my new year's resolution was to do a half marathon. And so I did do that. I didn't perform as well as I wanted to. My goal was to, I never thought I would walk to begin with. <laughs> I I actually didn't even set that piece as a goal because I never considered the fact that I might actually run some of that. Um, But my goal was to get under two hours and I was able to get two hours and 15 minutes after walking about two miles at mile eight for a 1.7 uphill battle that I just, I could not do it. But I will tell you, there was nothing as exhilarating as crossing the finish line in San Diego um, on a beautiful sunny day. It was hot. It was 80% humidity, which is not ideal, but there was so much collective enthusiasm and support and running with thousands of people all at once is something that I've never experienced. I did an individual sport growing up. And so um, just having that type of power and just community was really, really like overwhelming and, and easily one of my biggest highlights this summer. Congratulations, Maya. That's really wonderful. Uh, As a professed runner myself, I actually haven't done many group races because I I didn't really get seriously into running until COVID hit. Uh, I've done a couple half marathons during COVID and having a time around two hours, including walking, that's, that's really good. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh my gosh. If you're, you're a running buddy, we could like look into trying to find one before the school year ends or maybe we do that as celebratory for the graduation. We can all just say, Hey, we're doing this, um, half marathon for anybody that wants to participate for next summer. And we can, um, see, I know Seattle does one, so we could, we could look into doing that or, or going somewhere and doing one, but Ben, I'd be happy to run with you. Cause I certainly want to continue. That would be great. I'll rent one of those uh, electric scooters and ride along. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, Tony, is they actually had some of the volunteers were on scooters. Yeah, I would, see one of those, I would see one of those at like mile four or five, and I'd be like, yep, <laughs> part or however it works, and hop on a scooter and ride ride the rest of the way. Yeah. You, don't, you don't know how horrible the, so I was doing a, uh, the, my 27 mile run, and they had the, the Nike, um, those bikes that you can rent uh, on the side of the trail. And there was one at mile five. And I'm like, 
ooh, I really want to get on this so bad right now. And, and they're, they're scattered all across the trail, but. Also, wait, Ben, I just peeped that you said 27 mile run. Let's just be very clear. I only ran 13.1 miles for a half marathon. I, I thought of people like you in my mind at, at mile eight when I got to that hill and I was just like, God bless their hearts because I thought I was mentally stronger than anything and, and physically for the most part, especially. And so it was at mile eight where I was quickly humbled and I thought of these, these long distance runners and who could do double what I was doing in that one day. And I was like these people are absolutely nuts so I was shout out to you that is not a light deal coming from someone who's only ran half of it yeah that's that's amazing good for you I will say that even though I've done the the full distance um after so I did that back in June and the thought of doing that again just like I I, <laughs> I can't even think about it right now it's like I can consider doing the half marathon distance again but yeah anything past that is like ugh. Last thing that I'll say on this, and I definitely want to get to your next questions, but I had a couple of friends who really inspired some of just like my physical goals this year, do the full Ironman in Coeur d'Alene over by Idaho. And they did it the weekend, I believe like that, like that third weekend in June, and it was a hundred degrees out there. Um, and one of my very best friends, he said, first of all, they had one of the lowest percentage rates of completion that they've ever had in an Ironman, like in history, um, because it was just so hot and it was so drastic. It was around the heat wave time. And then um, second, all of my friends, they, they finished within like 12 to 14 miles was around like their pace. And the, um, the Inferno is what they called it, the Inferno day. And my, and my friend said, um, people were crying as they were trying to complete. And I was like, well, I was like, well, Alec, did you cry? And he was like, yeah, <laughs> he was like, why did I do this? <laughs> and I was like, to think of yourself, just like shuffling your feet, those last, like that last full marathon, which is your last event in, in the, in the triathlon. And so just to be crying and running, I was like, my God, like I couldn't do it. That's a whole nother level of crazy. I, I don't think I could ever do something like that, that uh, more power to them, especially on a hot day like that. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for asking. That was exciting. So you mentioned that um, you you used to do individual sports. Can you get more into that? Yeah, uh, I love it because we just had the conclusion of the Olympic Games. Um, and so I was a gymnast my whole life since I was seven. And I did it all the way through college. And I was done when I was 22. So um, now that I'm about five years going on six removed from college, um, things are quite different for me now. However, I might look the same. We are not the same as what we once were. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I did competitive gymnastics and, and, and competing in college was an absolute pleasure. I was fortunate that it was able to pay for my education. Um, and it was very defining for me to find my childhood, really. Um, I wouldn't say that I grew up with like a what is, what is normal? That's not even really a word that I like to refer to, but my life looked really different because I grew up in a gym and I spent more time with my coaches and my teammates than I did my parents. I had really defined muscles, like being very small and being very little. And that's how gymnastics usually go. So I remember dating and things like that. I always felt really self-conscious about looking really masculine and being super strong. And in gym classes where I thrived because I could do more pushups than most people. Um, and that's when I usually got a lot of attention, but it was not always attention that I wanted, but gymnastics was 
at one point, and I've grown out of this, uh, it was where I knew myself best. And I really struggled with that transition when I was done with college, transitioning into the corporate world, uh, because it was like going from being a student athlete, not just in college, but since I was seven, you've always done gymnastics in school, gymnastics in school, you go to school, then you go to practice, or sometimes you go to practice school, then back to practice. So, um, and you never stop during the summer when you're training, you, you don't really have like an, like an off period, you have a season to compete, but there's not really an off period. So it was really constant constant for pretty much the majority of my life and still to date that that's that holds true and so um that's that's was my comfort zone and that's where I felt like I knew myself the strongest and that's where I felt like I knew and could really hear my own voice in my own head um and that's what it taught me really what it was like to really believe in yourself it was everything in gymnastics was very much it's up to you you can either do it or you cannot so um I have a very rigid perspective because I knew a really strong discipline growing up that's really inspirational. Gymnastics has to be like a group of the most difficult athletic feats to do. Just all, like every single event is absolutely grueling, takes the most precision and accuracy. And like, I think something that a lot of people take for granted is you could seriously maim, kill your, like die, break your neck, break a bone, like then in any routine or anything that you do, so I have to ask, what was your favorite event? And like, what was your favorite, like, I don't know, do you call them trick? Uh, skill. Like that's really like reductive to just call like a triple flip twisty a trick. <laughs> Tony, but, I'm thinking about our text conversation. The twisties, um, they're yep. called skills. So like skills. everything in gymnastics is like, what was your favorite skill? Like, a trick is like me on a trampoline doing a somersault. Yeah, I feel like a, yeah, I feel like a tr- I feel like a trick is something that's more undefined. Okay, so what was your favorite event? Like, what? Yeah. It, maybe it's the one that you were the best at too. But I'm curious about like what you loved most about gymnastics specifically that the rest of us can kind of relate to, having watched it. Yeah, my favorite event. I'm a little bit like, and this will kind of answer a lot of questions. I think in terms of just insight to my character and how I've always very much been. My favorite event, I'm so used to a different question. I actually had to stop myself. My favorite event always really depended because I truly had an appreciation for all four. Um, To better answer your question, my very best event and what gave me, I would say my highest highs at times was uneven bars. And that was the event that usually came the most natural for me. I'm not a very, I wasn't a very, I was, I was strong and I was petite, but I didn't have a ton of like natural talent. Like I'm a numbers girl and I'm, I'm the same way in academia and I'm the same way in work. It takes me quite a few tries, but then when I get it, I really get it. Um, and so I've, I, I had to work at every single event that I did. Bars just happened to come the easiest for me. And I have long limbs. Uh, my, my wingspan is actually longer than my, like my actual height. My wingspan is five, four and my height is five, two. So I, I could reach and I could have a long line, which is something that you look for on uneven bars. And that was also really exhilarating because that's the event where you're completely suspended by your own momentum. Like every other event outside of vault, because it's something like where you're flipping in the air and more so defining gravity, you're defining gravity, but like suspended by your own strength for, for, for about a minute, which is really cool. Um, and you have to keep everything connected and keep going. And so to me, that always just kind of felt like, like a routine truly felt like a routine because your feet can't really touch the ground until you finish. Um, and so that was really cool to me. Um, and then I would say 
beam was my hardest event and i would say beam was like quantitative methods in semester what were we in q3 um i won't name names but we know who teaches it uh <laughs> <laughs> and beam was like i had to work so 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 hard but when you get it i got the highest of high because it was the one where you had i had the most doubt and for the people that were really good at balance beam, which takes so much just focus and so much, I always feel like beam takes a whole lot of confidence. You got to get out there and know you're not going to fall. And even for a gymnast, it's like, you know, you practice these things a hundred percent, a hundred times over, but you get up there and you have doubts and you don't know if you're going to stay on the beam for those that are really good. They know before they even go. And so it taught me a lot about just like confidence because you could always make it on any given day, but you have to decide that before you get up there. And so when I would have my strong beam performances where I was not the most consistent, but they would come through, that's when I felt the most proud of myself. And that's how I think of like, I've struggled a lot in, in, in quantitative subjects at times where it's just like, it seems like it's so much easier for other people and it takes me so long to get it. But when I get it, oh, we got it. So that's, that's kind of the range of, of how I looked at my struggles to my highs in gymnastics. I had never, this shows my ignorance of uneven bars. But it had never even occurred to me that on top of doing all the skill or demonstrating all the skills for it, you're also holding up your own weight the entire time. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cool to think about it because, yeah, it's and the dismount's always the best part, too, because you release and then that's when your feet do hit the ground. So you just got to make it. It's like you got to make it from point A to point B. And I also love adrenaline. Um, so something about like releasing the bar and then grabbing it back, you know, that's when you see people like they'll say you, it's called like they're missing a release. Or if you've ever seen men's gymnastics and men's, I almost feel like it's sometimes easier to follow than uh, women's only because men's skills, just generally speaking, are so much bigger. It's like there's nothing to be confused about other than the fact that this is nuts. Like, you know, what I mean? like it's just very much in your face. Like they're doing <laughs> something incredibly challenging. It looks challenging. They go so big, they go so high and somehow they get the bar back. They find their feet on their landings and it's outrageous. How many times are you going to throw yourself in the air, twist and flip, and then somehow land right side up? I have no idea. And so even thinking about it kind of just gives me chills because in your head and when you're in it, it's like, I don't know if any of you have been, ever been in the Midwest, but like, think about the craziest roller coaster you've been on and it's hectic. It is hectic in your mind. <laughs> At least it was for me. I can't speak for every gymnast, but like it was rowdy <laughs> until we finished. <laughs> I think if I did a somersault right now, I'd get pretty dizzy. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Those, those girls do what they do with such perfection is unbelievable. It's so cool to see. And what I would tell you that's super cool, maybe just relatable to other athletes, or if you've watched swimming or diving, like out here in the Pacific Northwest, people really like winter sports and so snowboarding and skiing and all that. And so to me, where I'm very humbled, where I like, I grew up flipping and having air awareness when people are on a board in the snow and throwing their, that's a whole other situation. I'm in a building. <laughs> like I am, in, I am, I am in a container. I don't know about you out there on the snow in those mountains, but like, you want to throw yourself off of what? <laughs> yeah. So I, it humbles, it's humbling all around. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about the Olympics. Let's talk about the twisties because that was a big thing going on. And it was 
uh, frustrating, I think, for me and I and I'm, and Ben too, as we've talked, with the negative commentary surrounding flack that Simone Biles got, and we, you know, we don't even understand gymnastics and what goes into it. So you understanding very well the dedication that goes into the sport of gymnastics and experiencing the twisties yourself. How uh, frustrating was it to see the treatment that Simone Biles got? Yeah, that was tough. And I think like with everybody, I mean, we just, we got the story in pieces, right? So we didn't, we didn't know. We didn't know what was happening. I will say being a gymnast, I recognize that on vault when she was competing in the team final, she absolutely, that was incredibly uncharacteristic. And I know for a fact that she was not going for a full and a half twist. I know that for a fact. And so just for clarity, what we're referring to is like her vault is a two and a half twist. And so she actually has a blind landing where she lands opposite of the way that she came into the table or into the vault. Um, and so it's even more difficult because you are landing the opposite direction in which you started, meaning you can't see your landing. And so in gymnastics, everything is kind of backwards in that aspect that tumbling backwards is actually like tumbling forwards because you can see your feet and your hands land. When you tumble forwards, you cannot see your feet land. If I come off of my hands, and I flipped to my feet, my head was behind my legs, so I could never see them. Um, and so with that type of landing, it's incredibly dangerous. And it's something that you have to be very, 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 very dialed in for. Um, and it's, it's, it's it very, uh, the vault in terms of injury is much greater. So um, from like a knee perspective, from, from a back, neck, anything that could go wrong on that vault, it's gonna be likely more dangerous than it would if you were landing the opposite way or the same way that you came into the table. So I just want to kind of like baseline that severity. When she stopped one full and a half, one full twist short, it was like she went for a whole different vault than what she was supposed to do. And so a lot of people were like, oh, like she just didn't make it all the way around. I'm like, no, like Simone Miles like will make whatever she wants all the way around. Like her, she got confused. And so I took it when I first saw it as a what's called a balk, meaning like she didn't fully commit to the skill, so she got lost in the air. I didn't know she was having spatial awareness issues going into the vault. Like I thought something was like off, like maybe it was like her entry or maybe she didn't get off the table right or, and I know I'm kind of speaking high level, but all to say that she knew space, her spatial awareness was off before she even started the vault which is incredibly dangerous because she had mentioned she had been struggling with the, with the twisties uh, once she arrived in Japan. And now the greater mental issue, and I want to just like delineate, is that like when she says mental health, she's talking about pressure. She's not talking about the twisties. When she says mental health, like as an overall issue in terms of what she's advocating, she didn't feel herself. She was under a lot of pressure. She had been mentioning it was getting to her. She is a Larry Nassar um, survivor, rather. I don't, I don't like to use the word victim, but so she had had a lot on her shoulders with incredibly high expectations going in as the lead story for the 2021 Olympic Games in Tokyo. That is all that we heard about for, you know, leading into it. And 
honestly, I think he got the most airtime in the games itself when there were hundreds of other athletes competing. And so I'm not saying she asked for all of this attention, but that's what was placed on her. And so when she says mental health, she is talking about all of those externals that she was really struggling to compartmentalize while she needed to focus on what she was doing. And it triggered the symptom of her getting the twisties, which is, which was very well put in that video that you had sent me, Tony, literally having like vertigo is like not knowing your left from right or you want to go and walk on your feet, but you start walking on your hands. Like weird. You want to talk, but say like, instead, like you start blinking a bunch or like, if you wanted to hear, you start screaming. Like that's, it's like, we're literally like sensory wise, like things get super disconnected. Um, and so when she was trying to twist, her body would want to flip. And when her body was flipping, her body would want to twist. And that just creates a whole lot of chaos in the air. Um, and it's not safe and you can get it on, you know, any, any, really any skill that involves twisting and flipping. It's, it's, it's very understandable and it is more common than people talk about. And that's why like the discipline around mental strength in gymnastics within, within context of being really mentally tough is also a safety precaution because like you can't afford to not be. And so I just wanted to delineate between that. Thank you. I think those and those two things just to me it seems like they just compounded the pressure and then the pressure begets the the twisties and then having the twisties begets more pressure because Absolutely. you're not performing when people expect you to and and honestly we all we all expect Simone to be perfect because she has been we've only only ever witnessed her performing to like absolute perfection achieving gold medal after gold medal after gold medal but I thought it was really cool that she she was courageous, stepped down, took care of herself. And then, you know, the 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 team, it's a team sport. And they were like, hey, next woman up. And Absolutely. the next person stepped up and crushed it. So it was a I think it was it was an overall win. I think it's a good, a good feeling story. So I think and one thing that I always try to make sure because I, I, I so appreciate just the outpour of support that someone received in wake of having so much criticism. One thing that I really try to hold and I take it so personally and so sensitively is that Sinisa Lee is the 2021 gold champion, um, Olympic gold champion, right? And she's the first like Hmong American uh, to win. And so to my knowledge, she is the first um, Asian American representation that we've ever had won the all around gold medal title. And that is history too. Um, and absolutely deserves like the same, I shouldn't say the same because people are different and you have to recognize them for their differences, but that deserves amplification. That was unbelievable. I think even, and I even looked at it from the perspective of just like these series of events that have been this past two years. And so for me, from, from coronavirus to having um, a leader in the United States that, uh, very much criticized and very much made the pit of so much hate to kind of somewhat spark uh, through through false advertising, through false news, through fake media, a, a rise um, an Asian an Asian American and AAPI like representation all around. I would even say globally, not just American, but that outcry uh, towards the Asian heritage community was challenging. That was I like as a black woman, like I found that challenging to observe how we look for someone to blame, how we point fingers, how we can ostracize an entire race with fault over, over something that I, that 
that affected so many people. And so um, to me, when Sunisa won her gold medal, I felt like that was a very positive moment for the Asian heritage community. And I certainly wanted to stand in advocacy and in support and allyship with that community because they've been through a lot too. I'll I'll admit I'm impressed too, even though uh, she's going to go to Auburn. I know. I'm an Alabama fan. Uh, I'll still say I'm very impressed and I'll stand with her. So that's a a big deal on my part. So I'll pat myself on the back. for. I'm with you. No, I'm, that's big. I'm like, why Auburn? (laughs) And my my best friend went to Auburn to compete on the gymnastics. She's going crazy, but I'm like, Auburn? Auburn? (laughs) There's other college programs that are far better, but hey, good for her. (laughs) How do you even compete against that as a collegiate gymnast where you're like oh that team has the world's olympic gold medalist all around and <laughs> i don't like i don't i i mean we can all relate to this year i'll make it i'll make it more accessible for most people like if you ever played on a sports team like ben have you been on a sports team before even when you're young yeah i used to play tennis in high school okay did you ever go against a team that you knew you were going to lose to before you even like oh yeah all the time <laughs> before the day even came and like, Tony, I know you played football, so I'm sure for you, like someone like you just knew you weren't coming out with a win. That's what it's like on steroids. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> I don't want to do this. Like, that's how I felt. I, my, I think the most like overwhelmed I felt was probably like either my freshman or sophomore year. I can't remember competing against Nebraska, which was just much higher ranked than the school that I was at at the time. Um, I'm a transfer student. So I started at Western Michigan University and then I went to and finished um, at University of Pittsburgh for my last two years. And so um, I just remember being at Western and getting to Nebraska and I was just like, can we go home? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, I can honestly just support. So like, I was like, you know, so I think with Sinisa, I think it's going to bring a whole level of, you know, excitement, but it should, it, it should absolutely like, and well-deserved. I also think that the gymnastics community has been through quite a lot of negative press and a lot of negative attention and a lot of pain and a lot of bleeding. And so my, my, my guess, I, I, like I said, I'm a little bit removed from the collegiate world is that more than ever, I think that the community is really trying to hold on. So I can't imagine that there will be any induced divisiveness. There will probably be some fun, you know, competitive spirit, but our community is truly trying to hang on by a thread. Well, I think there was a lot of good that came out of these Olympic games and I think hopefully it'll help people move on. Agreed. Thanks for asking. Can I touch real quickly on student council and why you decided to join student council? Because Tony made me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, Yeah, I guess more seriously, I think, you know, and Tony certainly wasn't the only one. um, And, and I say that really humbly, but very transparently to like my personality. It's not really been anything that I feel like I've hit like hit or, or, or held unreserved. But like I mentioned, like I really, I really struggled this first year academically to, to really keep up and it affected my self-esteem in a lot of ways. And it really um, did make me question at times, like, can I get through this? Like, not that I should or shouldn't be here, but it was like more of a, like, am I going to really make it like, and, and, and get through it out alive without like, going to jail or doing something crazy. So like, I was just like, I don't know. And I, you know, it made me also from a very deep place. It made me also question what kind of value I could bring to the group because 
I was so under pressure and I was so like overwhelmed working full time, um, being able to land a role at a, at a company that I'm really inspired and really passionate about, um, trying to still be in training to teach fitness, uh, trying to address my own mental health, trying to survive the really bad weather. And then again, I mean, it was, it was Q3 and quantitative methods. I'm not going to name names, but it was crazy. And so uh, for me, having having just a lot on my plate, I was like, I don't want to sign up for anything else that I can't really give my all to and where I also can't show up strongest because that was probably the most deflating point of my experience my first year was that it's not that I can't do it. It's that I'm not even able to really show up as strong as I know I'm capable of because I'm just out of capacity. And so that really hurt my ego. And um, when it came time for student council and I found out that I was nominated, I was like, I don't have anything really like left to give. But I saw the personal notes that had come through and some people had reached out, Tony being one of them. And it was like, while I can't do a, quite a lot for myself at times, and while I do get really frustrated, and I've always said that I'm more physically strong than I am mentally, I'll cry my way through it. But I, I at the end of the day, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna quit. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep going physically. Um, at that point, when I felt like I couldn't do much more for myself, I was very inspired and very motivated by people from my cohort feeling like I could somehow um, make their experience or make their year next year better. If I were able to contribute to some of the events that like they wanted my voice in the room. And because I had that kind of like doubt of like, am I even adding value to know it was such a pleasant, like uplift at such a good time, um, to hear like, oh no, like somebody actually like wants your help. Like they, they want your response or they want you to advocate for them or they want you to represent them. And I was like, well, I know how hard of a time I'm having. And if there was somebody that could make my experience better, I would hope that they would choose to. And so that is very much the only reason why I'm doing this <laughs> because I don't have any more time than I did before. But I, it means a lot to me to know that someone found you to be a solution in some way for them. I think you're going to knock it out of the park. Actually, I don't think I know you are. Definitely. <laughs> even failed to mention two of probably the larger stressors, uh, COVID-19. I mean, that right. impacts you and puts a lot of stress. And then, you know, the school year was coming off the back of uh, George Floyd and a lot of civil unrest, which, you know, you as, if I'm not mistaken, the only um, Black female representative in our cohort. I mean, that, that alone, it, it's a lot of extra pressure that I'm sure you feel, but uh, I can comfortably say that you have represented your, yourself and um, and everything that's great about the Black community for, for the rest of us, so I appreciate it. Oh, that means so much to me, um, truly, 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 like, it, it means so much to me to hear, like, my cohorts, my peers, like, my equals say that, because, um, like, those are the people that impact me the most or the people that you're most alike. Um, and vice versa. And so thank you just for, for saying that it was, um, a typical year. I don't know why, like, I don't know why I admitted that as part of like the huge stressor, but, uh, I guess just to know, and what I would just add, even though you didn't particularly ask the question is truly like the moment that black lives matter for me really became like, not that it was never real, but like the minute that things changed for me was actually, I can't remember if it was our first or second day of immersion. Um, I think it was our first day of immersion when Breonna Taylor's verdict came out um, and the denial of her justice and knowing that she had the same profile as me exactly in terms of Black women, uh, 
26 at the time um that like and you know in school and, and and whatever i can't remember she obviously she had a different career i can't remember if it was medical related or service related but either all to say that like had been through academia had been through school was in some form of a career was the exact same profile as myself and knowing that she didn't know nor did she have to die that night but that nobody would justify it i think was the most like powerless i've ever felt in my identity at that point like george floyd it it, it impacted me of course um like ahmaud aubrey like like that was also very impactful just for knowing that like he had been a runner um and so like to have Brianna Taylor, who was even closer to home through an identity perspective was just like, it hit different. And being in that cohort that day and being on Zoom and being in class, I just remembered feeling, feeling like, does it really even matter what I do? Does it really matter if I even get this MBA? Does it matter if I get this job? Does it matter really what I do? Because if my life is valueless in this country, what difference is it really going to make no matter how hard I work? And so um, it took me a minute to really get over that. Uh, I was frustrated that I was the only one. And I think that that's also what ignited a strength in me at the same time to, to actually advocate. Because what can feel tokenizing at times is to be the only one and then also have to be the advocate. Um, and for me very much in that moment, that's where I was like, I came into this like, hey, like, I don't want to come out here and put my identity as like black woman and need to, and to and need to change all of these things and need to be in, involved in Jedi and to feel like all of that work belonged to me because of the minimal representation. I just wanted to come in here and be a student, get my degree just like everybody else, meet some nice people, network, have some cute events, look cute. And it was that day that I realized like, okay, like my ancestors carried chains on their backs they didn't want to do that either, right? Like they didn't want to risk their lives to get to freedom. They didn't want to travel north. They didn't want to separate from their own kids, their family members. They wanted to know their own names. And so if the burden for me is having to be that voice in the room, well then like, I think I have it very good. And I think that I owe my lineage, the effort, the extra vocal taxing, like effort, the emotional labor, um, the space to explain, uh, the space to feel, I think I owe all of that to my lineage. And so I just said, sign me up and we'll just do what we have to do until we can get more people in the room. Well, I'm glad that you're, you're at the helm of social events. I think it's going to make everything a lot more fun. And I can't wait to look cute in a group study. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, thank you. <laughs> Being so candid, speaking, speaking about a difficult topic. Uh, um, I guess we can talk about something a little more light. Uh, have you been, and I, again, I'm, this is the second episode that I'm stealing one of Ben's prized questions and I really like it myself, but have you been uh, reading anything or watching any television shows to, you know, just kind of kick back and relax over the summer? No. Um. <laughs> Running, traveling and busy. Good for you. Hey, I'm a lazy guy and I sit back and watch a lot of uh, TV. So when people ask you like, do you read it? You're just like, no. <laughs> it's super embarrassing. I know. But no. 
I'm just kidding. No, I mean, in my work, I, I, I do um, DNI work at Lululemon for the global brand marketing team. So I am actively like reading up on current events. I like poetry. It's short and easier to digest. Um, but I, I really spend a lot of my time actively engaged just with my, with my peers, um, my best friends. And, and I, I'm very thankful to have a very diverse like community to support me just like even here, like my friends are everything. Like, I ride hard for my friends. So we spend a lot of time outside and we hike and we camp and we run half marathons together and we barbecue. Um, don't forget to remind me, I think we have the 26th Ben, you're invited to. I have to just get that text out for, for people to come to my rooftop. But that's that is how I unwind is through human connection. And that's what I would say that during the program I was missing the most because I was so dialed in that honestly, I think Jody did say it in the very beginning, your relationships really suffered, and mine definitely did. I was not the nicest and I also just wasn't accessible and present like I normally would be. And so that was really hard for not only the people that I care about, but me as well, because that's where I derive energy from. Um, so really just reconnecting with folks. I spend quite a bit of time in the sun. So uh, by lakes or like by beaches, I like to shop. That always recharges me. I just got some issues today. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I recharge. But books are good. Books are so good. Find a good book. Yeah, books are good. <laughs> I've told Tony before that I'm also a shopaholic. So I, I understand. Oh. Yeah. Oh, good. Ben likes to buy things. Oh, <laughs> see, I blame I blame Seattle and I blame Amazon for just showing you what instant gratification can look like online and being able to get things so quickly. It's just too quick. It comes the next day. I'm like laying in bed buying stuff and it just shows up. It's society's fault because I've actually lost like all like true awareness and like patience for patience. I if I can get it tomorrow, well then. Yeah. I'm Buy something else the next day, and the next day <laughs> <laughs> we can get something every day. I just love opening packages. I, I'll admit that. <laughs> I want to know what they like are going to name this addiction of like walking down to like your mailbox, picking up your pet. Like it's a routine. It's conditioning, and I'm the same way. I have a whole system. Then I go to the recycling bin because I don't like to keep boxes. And I like <laughs> I have like my whole like like let me carve out my ten minutes for my package collecting. Like I love it. I love it. I hate to admit how much happiness it brings me to like get a new package, even though I know that I bought it myself. It's like somebody gave me a gift. You know, you're bad when you check like your Amazon tracking for like batteries, but just because you know the packing, like just because you know the package is coming and you're excited <laughs> to get the package, like when you're on your app, like when are my batteries going to be? Like, it's just like- I follow the truck on the map, even <laughs> though it's like not stuff that I need, like it's laundry detergent, but I know where it is right now. Live updates. <laughs> Where's my package? Yeah, I've gotten to know some of the Amazon drivers' names, like they've come by the house so often. Yes. Hey, there's he's here with another package. Form those relationships. That's that's my advice for the package go getters. Form those relationships. You never know, because like here's the thing. When it's snowing, when it's raining, your package person is gonna call you and be like, look, you want me to put it like behind the mail? Like, where do you want me to put? Oh, you out of town? Like, I'm gonna hold this for you. Like, get those relationships. <laughs> Jason from FedEx and I are tight, tight. So those are the important relationships you gotta build. Definitely. All right, final question to close it out. What should people reach out to you for if they wanna chat with you, Maya? I've never like designated myself like 
a point person before. Like I've never designated myself as like a, as like a, I mean, outside of shopping. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let me, let me rephrase it then. If, if you could chat with our cohort about anything, like your, your choice of ch- subject, what would you want to talk about? With our cohort? Oh, I have so many questions for our cohort. Um, we have something at Lululemon Culture called Take Space, Make Space. And I, and I, I recognize that I do take a lot of space in a room because I'm not, I'm not shy and I am outgoing and I am curious. And I would have loved to have been in person a lot more last year. And I think what's challenging is not always being able to see everybody's face at the same time and just be around that environment. And so if I were just like with my cohort, I think as simple as it is, I want to see people's like families. Like I'm a very relationship driven person. Like when I learned Tony had three babies, I was like, you didn't tell me after all these months, you had three babies and you're just on Zoom. <laughs> and I think, um, I think, who am I thinking of? Takashi. Takashi lifted his son one day, like just up. And we were like, everybody with these double lives. Like what, is, <laughs> who are these people with these families? Like Christina has a baby. Like it's just like, <laughs> It's stuff that I only find out through Instagram, I feel. Yeah. Um, and so granted, I think that like, you know, obviously they say like the summation, like your, your summation of the, of the five closest people. And especially during a time like COVID, I think for those that were fortunate enough to be around their family members or their, or their significant others, you know, like that, that's your everything at one point, especially when it, when it, when it comes to just having a support system and a group. And I have so much space and regard for the people that also keep people going um and so I would love to know like you know just those pieces of people's lives because it also is very telling like Ben I don't know do you have a baby somewhere no no babies here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm saying. like do you have a partner do you have a dog do you like or like where is your family from yeah so I live with my girlfriend and we have two cats together so amazing yeah. like amazing and so I just yeah biologically his they're they're adopted cats they, they are adopted yeah that's even, honestly, that's even better. Um, so yeah, no, that, that would be, I think for me, I know it probably sounds like baseline, but for me, I think it just, it carries so much weight to know the people that are uncompromisable to, to, to the people in our cohort, I think would be really special for me to, to see. Well, with a couple social events on the horizon, uh, hopefully we all get to. Do you want like a, do you want some juicy details? Yeah. Maybe. Not not in this not in this forum. We'll we'll wait until this is over. So everybody listening is like on edge. Okay, fair. Yeah, I like that idea too. All I'm gonna say is this, and do what you will with it. But I if I were you, I would get some cute shoes. You heard it here first. (laughs) I don't even know. Well. I'll work on it. I, I can buy anything any day. <laughs> you can buy anything and it'll be here tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll have like a shoe competition or like best dressed. Maybe we'll make it something like that. No, that's just, that's just me. Never mind. Ignore me. Just get cute shoes. That's all I ask. <laughs> well, Maya, I'm so glad we were able to have you on. It's been a wonderful time. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you to Maya for being our wonderful guest this week, and thank you for listening to Prosper the Connection. If you want to be on the show or you have any feedback, please DM me or Tony Segura.